This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. On today's show, we are chatting with the lovely Penny Moody and Rosie Frankish, who are the co-founders of the amazing website resource, SoOCD.com.au. Penny Moody is an OCD advocate and is currently writing a book about OCD. She has a background in media and communications and is currently studying a social work degree. Our second guest for today, Rosie Frankish, has a background in psychology and works in the community mental health sector. Since 2012, Rosie has worked in multiple direct service and leadership roles in the mental health sector, including the development and delivery of specialist mental health and homelessness programs currently delivered across Victoria. She is committed to providing effective services to people who are marginalised in the community and feels grateful to have the opportunity to share in people's experiences. In today's episode, you will hear us talk to Penny and Rosie about their personal journeys in therapy, the things they've learned that have been the shining lights of their treatment, as well as the things that have been not so shiny. Penny and Rosie also discuss what family members can do to support their loved ones while in treatment, especially when things get tough. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Rules. Today, we have the lovely Penny Moody and Rosie Frankish to speak to us about the consumer perspective of what it's like in treatment to help clinicians get a better understanding, but also to not forget that we are still dealing with people, not just a label or a diagnosis. So we're really looking forward to this discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Penny and Rosie, you guys started a wonderful website. I love the website. It's called soocd.com.au is the website URL. Please check it out when you have spare time. What led you guys to come up with the idea? Penny and I, I mean, a bit of a background about us. We've been friends for a long time, went to high school together. I remember having a conversation with Penny after I was diagnosed with OCD, which was only about three years ago. I remember being quite confronted when receiving that diagnosis and I was really lucky to know Penny, having her as a friend, but also somebody also living with the experience of OCD. And I remember just being really overwhelmed at trying to find accurate and non-clinical resources about OCD and things that I could actually share with my friends and family if they had questions about my diagnosis. I was kind of in a state of, Penny, what do I do? Help me. Where do I get good information? There's no good information out there. And we both just sort of jokingly said, well, we should just start something. And of course, in the amazing way that 
Penny does, you know, just sort of said, yeah, let's do it. And we just embarked on it. And we started writing content for So OCD. It was an interesting time because it was during the first COVID lockdown, I think, when we first started. So being in Melbourne in lockdown and this weird sort of period of not being able to go about our normal lives and knowing that I think OCD was really spiking for a lot of people at that time as well because it was just everything was all out of whack. But it did sort of give us a little bit of time to really focus on this as well. And I don't know about about you, Ro, but it was really like therapeutic for me as well, sort of just being able to do this and being able to try to fill a gap that kind of wasn't there for us. It's changing now. It's so amazing to see other websites popping up and really great resources. So that's really heartening. But it just felt like at the time for us, there wasn't much, weren't many places we could turn to. What's the response been like to your website? It's been really good. The people looking at our website are mostly people with um, OCD looking for information. And a lot of the feedback that we get is people thanking us and just for sharing our lived experience but also providing them with, I guess, assurance that it's okay, that if you've got OCD, don't be ashamed. You know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and stigma about OCD, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. There's really limited understanding in the community but also in the professional clinical world around OCD. And consequently, I think people with OCD can feel really stigmatised and feel really isolated in their experience as a consequence. So I think the response, it's mostly thanks so much for being really brave and and speaking about this and I've kind of got confidence now to own my experience. And also people looking for help and support. You know, I don't know where to get support my daughter has OCD or I've been living with OCD, where can we go to get right supports? I feel like that's probably been the most helpful part for people just in terms of feedback has been where can I find treatment? Like that's where people are struggling so much. Where can I get help? Where can I get help from people who really have experience with OCD as well? So that seems to be where it's really useful. But it is hard with websites, like getting getting traction and getting just having people find it actually can be really hard, but hopefully the more we can talk about it and get it out there, the more people will be able to find it. Absolutely. Especially for something that's Australian based, because there are so many resources that you might be able to find in the UK or America, because there's, you know, not only do they have a bigger population base, but there's just so much out there. And so we used to find ourselves kind of scratching our head going, well, where do we direct our clients to? Like, what can we do? And what started off with three or four things is slowly starting to grow so beautifully, which is really lovely to see. So thank you from us too for adding to that space and then allowing clients to be able to access something that's local so that they can know where to, because it can feel so overwhelming. It's like this big sea of information. It's like, well, where do I even start? Yeah, exactly. And there is a lot out there, you're right. Like I remember being US site and then finding myself at the no no CD site in the UK. It was, but it did feel so far away. I didn't feel like much that I could look at that was really relevant to where we are. Yeah, you've done a beautiful job. Thinking about the consumer experience, as we we're talking about off air, is that what we want to do is 
help clinicians to understand what it's like to be someone with OCD and to be navigating treatment. What do you think clinicians need to know about what it's like to have OCD and to be embarking on therapy and to be in the room doing the therapy? I mean, it's a big, broad question. What comes to mind to me straight away, being aware of how difficult it is for this person to be in that room right now. Actually, to get to the point where you're sitting in front of someone you don't know and you're going to hopefully trust them enough to kind of divulge the deepest, darkest parts of your mind, getting there has been a journey in itself for this person. And I feel like for me anyway, like every part of my brain body was telling me you know the first time seeing a psychologist to get out of there like it was just really really uncomfortable so just having empathy for that I think how hard it has been for this person to come in and it's so important that first session because the person with OCD will be scoping everything will be scoping the environment and once they know it's safe They'll feel, you know, a lot more comfortable to come back, but also to start talking about what's going on in their minds. But anything that's going to suggest it's unsafe, I think will really be a big turnoff and and might make them think twice about continuing. What might those signs be? What do you think turn people away and make them feel unsafe? For me, having someone who is really kind of open and kind of smiling and giving the impression that it's that everything's okay. Any signs of like sternness or really seriousness really turned me off. Oh, I'm not sure this person might think that like I'm unsafe, but being as open and positive as possible and really doing everything in that first session just to make sure the environment's comfortable. Like I had a psychologist once who all she talked about the first session was what she wasn't for me. Like she sort of said, I want to sit you down. I want to let you know this relationship is very different, this psychologist-client relationship. I'm not your mum. I'm not your friend. I'm not your this. I'm not your that. And I sort of, it really put me off. And I was 19 at the time and it took me maybe three years to see another psychologist. I had another psychologist who she just spent the first half an hour talking about the payment process. And I understand you've got to mention it, but it was not just for like. Half an hour. <laughs> And not at the beginning. And, and no. I know. The really good ones I've seen have just been so, I don't know, just really made an effort to be really open and kind, really kind of validating, especially that first session. That's really helpful, Penny, your it description's is. there. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Because the last thing you want as someone with OCD this is what I'm hearing you say, is to walk in there feeling like someone's going to judge you for the worst thoughts that you're possibly having or to even confirm that they might be true, you know, in this sense of like it's such a scary experience to be able to divulge all of those thoughts and feelings. So you do, I can totally understand that. You want someone who's going to be able to be warm, open-minded, understanding validating all of those things so that you can be like, okay, I can share these thoughts. I'm not going to be judged for them. I'm going to be able to express them so we can work with them and be able to approach treatment in a safe way. Absolutely. I think you've nailed it. Warm, warmth, really important. Have either of you had experiences with psychologists who weren't very familiar with OCD? 
or have given you advice that you now know actually wasn't evidence-based or helpful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a psychologist point blank tell me that I didn't have OCD after I had been diagnosed from a psychiatrist. So that was really confusing on top of already being confused about what was going on for me. You know, building on what you were saying, Penny, around that safety, I think having assurances that you are in good hands and the person is experienced and utilises evidence-based practices and treatments gives you confidence as a person with OCD when you're seeing them that you are in good hands. So, like, and I've also been seeing psychologists since I was in high school. I can't really remember the first time I saw a psychologist, but I remember, like, being a teenager and my parents taking me to the Alfred Clinic and seeing a psychologist there. So my journey with seeing psychologists kind of was what, like 20 years before I was even diagnosed with OCD, which was only in 2020. So I have had experiences where people definitely haven't picked it up and I've been being treated for different things. I remember sort of seeing on my mental health plan one day that I'd been diagnosed with depression and I was like, oh, no one ever told me that, you know, and that was really confronting. Being really honest with people about what your assessment is and what that means is really important and providing people like when people do receive a diagnosis of whatever mental health diagnosis physical diagnosis whatever it is I just think best practice is to be able to sit down with that person and say what are your questions what do you want to know there's no wrong question here just if I can answer it I will if I can't we'll go on a journey together to actually find out the answer Because, you know, we don't expect people to know everything. My psychologist is amazing, but I also know that no one knows everything and that's okay. So going on that learning journey is important, I think, with the person. It's really lovely to hear you say that because especially early career psychologists get stuck in this idea of feeling like they need to know everything. And Tori and I as supervisors are often being like, we don't know everything 15 years out. No one can know everything. The information's changing all the time. Yes, we do need to go out there and read stuff and try and stay up to date as possible. But even when you do, you might not be able to remember that when you're in the room with the person because there are so many other factors you're trying to keep in mind. But yeah, but also be present for the person as well and to be able to be there for them. But also I think a lot of people get scared to feedback a formulation and a diagnosis because of how it's going to be received. So it's really nice to hear that actually people do want to, I mean, I would want to know, like, you know, anyone would want to know and to not hold back and to have that open and honest discussion as well and to be transparent about it. It's, yeah, it is important. And I think there can be, people have their own experience of, they feel labelled with a diagnosis And I completely understand that. For me, it was a huge relief getting a diagnosis because I finally understood what was going on and, you know, like can relate to what you were saying before, Penny, about you're in a situation where you're sharing your deepest and darkest thoughts and fears. And I remember sitting there thinking if I share with my psychiatrist what my thoughts are or 
what with anybody people are going to assess me as being risky and I'm going to go to jail and I'll never be able to work in mental health again so being able to provide a safe space for someone to say it's okay to share these things the importance of that is once I got to that place where I felt safe I did share those things and that's when I got a diagnosis for me then understanding that was like that I had a diagnosis was like wow there is a reason that all of these things have been happening all of my life makes sense and then doors open yeah exactly yeah treatment doors open one more thing on that on the question of like what could help clinicians provide us a safe space what separated my current psychologist from everyone else I've seen and she's the one who sort of ended up diagnosing me and doing ERP and getting a lot better with her she's completely unflappable like nothing will phase her and even if it does I can't you can't I, read I it, don't see yeah. it. <laughs> every time I'm like I feel like I'm going to shock you and she's like try me <laughs> like I've heard everything and that comes with um comes with experience absolutely but even if you're starting out it's trying to keep a bit of a poker face I think and not if you are feeling a little confronted or you know trying to not show that because like I said we'll be reading your face and if we shock, we'll just complete backpedal, like we'll just retreat. I think that's really important. Honestly, like the level of almost forensic-like investigation of someone's facial expression when you have OCD is so like spot on. Yeah, it's it's very readable. Like you can easily pick up if someone shows you what that facial expression is like. Yeah. <laughs> you can. One of the other things is acknowledging the treatment for OCD is quite exhausting. Like doing ERP is really confronting and quite tiring. As a practitioner, just being really empathetic to whoever you're working with around that and just validating that for them and explaining that and also getting a gauge on that with someone about how they're feeling and sort of mapping it out in a staged way I don't know because I know for myself I might have felt like I need to do these things regularly like I'm responsible for my own treatment and doing loop tapes and things like that but also just being compassionate with yourself when it's like I just don't have it in me and so I think for psychologists, psychiatrists to just be really compassionate about that and reach, like not reassuring, reassuring I know is a dirty word with OCD, but like, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, the good kind of reassurance. Yeah, yeah. like that's <laughs> totally natural, you know, yeah. for that to happen and that's another thing. We're all human at the end of the day and there's only so much we can carry, yeah. And it ties into what you were saying before about safety, about having safety in the relationship to say, I'm exhausted, I'm fatigued, I need to pause this for a minute and catch my breath. And if you don't feel like you've got the safety in that relationship, then I imagine it would be really hard to admit that and to ask for what you need. What's some of the um, the best advice or the most helpful kind of moment do you think you've received from your psychologists or psychiatrists? Oh, I need to think about this for a sec. Make Rosie go first then. <laughs> I mean, a diagnosis for one was very helpful 
from a psychiatrist that I saw. It only sort of took two or three sessions and it was like, I think you're experiencing intrusive thoughts. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I think you might have OCD. I was like, like the light bulb went off and he started, you know, talking about all of the reasons why he thought what he thought. I was like, whoa, you know, like I actually started crying and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I think feel like I've upset you I said no no you what you're saying makes sense I'm so relieved I'm so relieved that I finally have an answer because everything that I was doing up until that point just wasn't getting me there you know like I just could never quite get to feeling good or feeling like I had a sense of control I suppose like I felt like my thoughts were just completely out of my control which is really scary when you get to that point so yeah, I think for me, a diagnosis. I think some normalisation as well about, you know, Penny and I have talked about this a lot on SoECD on the website, just trying to normalise like what is part of the human experience and then is where does it overlap with the OCD experience? So everybody experiences intrusive thoughts, for example. You know, it's just that people don't talk about it. So I guess helpful advice has been trying to like normalise some of those feelings as well. I'd also say ERP, being introduced to ERP, huge for me, and loop tapes as well. Yeah. Do you want to tell people who are listening what loop tapes are? Yeah. So essentially my psychologist encouraged me to do loop tapes where there's things. My OCD is more of a, like I experience a lot of mental compulsions, well, obsessions and compulsions. So, of course, no one can necessarily see that I'm doing it, which is tricky. So it's kind of like pure OCD, I think. So a loop tape essentially is where I might get stuck on a particular obsession. And a lot of the time for me, it's around moral scrupulosity. So I'm quite concerned about or can get quite fixed on whether I've said the right thing, whether I've hurt somebody's feelings, whether that person thinks that I'm a bad person so I can get quite stuck on that and then try to think my way out of a thought or start writing down, replaying those conversations in my head. And so a loop tape to try to stop that obsession. So the obsession is having those thoughts going around and around in my head and then the compulsion is for me to try to think my way through that conversation and replay it in my mind and then write down all the things that I said to try to find my way out of it to ascertain whether I'm a good or bad person would be to record myself on my phone and go, maybe you said the wrong thing. Maybe you did hurt that person's feelings. But at the end of the day, you're a compassionate person and you'd never do anything to try to hurt someone intentionally. And so the idea is that then I just play that over and over and over until it kind of becomes boring to me. So the idea is that it then dissipates the emotional response that I have to that obsession and reminds me that I don't have to do the compulsion in order for that anxiety to dissipate. Sounds like it's been really helpful for you. Yeah, it is really helpful. When I'm diligent to do it, it's really helpful. What about you, Penny? What's some of the um, something you've really hung on to that's been really helpful? I think a huge moment for me with my psychologist was talking about thought action fusion. So I always had this idea that if a thought popped into my head it would be like oh well the next thing is like I would be doing that thing and she really helped me 
to look at that gap between a thought and an action and she would sort of explain it as like there's a whole canyon often between what the thought is and what the action is. But for so much of my life, it was just so fused together. And having that moment was like, it probably seems really obvious, especially for those who don't have OCD, but for me, it just really wasn't. And she also spends a lot of time talking about how thoughts, feelings, urges, all these things are so are so normal and so okay. Like there's nothing wrong with any of them and they're so far removed from certain actions and certain behaviours. So really trying to delineate those things were like, that was huge for me. It opened up like a whole new world for me because for so long I just had them together. Especially when it feels real in your body, when it's happening, your body is feeding back this information where it feels so visceral and like your heart's racing, you're sweaty, you're almost convinced that those things are going to happen and it is real. So it's really hard to be able to see that in that moment. So it is useful to have those discussions. Absolutely. And I guess this is where kind of, you know, mindfulness can kind of come in as well is like really trying to separate yourself from your thought. I think for me as well, there was such a urge to kind of suppress thoughts but I just didn't want them to be there but instead kind of you know watching them separating yourself from them just kind of noticing this is really hard for me right now because I'm having a thought that you know I'm gonna harm someone. I mean ERP is the heart of how we treat OCD isn't it but it sounds like what you're both saying is that psychoeducation having conversations with your psychologist about what is happening and why it's happening has been really illuminating that's really important for you to have been able to understand what OCD is and why you're experiencing the way you experience. But then there's also that balanced with the hands-on skill building, which is you then get given or taught the tools on how to manage these experiences. It's, you know, it's the, the balance of both of talking, thinking, understanding, having that space for compassion and for just general sort of counselling and support, but then also being really hands-on so that then you can proceed with confidence. Does that sound right? Yeah, there are so many parts to it. Having ERP at the core of it, and you guys would know much more about this, but the most sort of evidence-based way to treat it, but I've found that a lot of the sort of more cognitive therapy part of it has been really, really helpful for me that just sort of complements it. And like you say, Corey, like learning about it, like being able to understand OCD for me has been so, so helpful in in the treatment and actually just being able to understand how it works can also really help you separate it from yourself as well. But this is just how it is and this is how I can sort of manage it. I found like reading certain books and, you know, has been really helpful for me in in that treatment process. And you've got a really beautiful um, list of books on your website, I know. So I think if I imagine if people are curious about what those books are, they can go to your website and have a look. Thanks for joining us for part one of our chat. Join us next episode as we conclude the conversation. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au.
This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. rules. <laughs>